Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. The title of my message today is When Jesus Preaches. We're in this uh, series called Who Is This Jesus? And we're going to be in Matthew 5 through 7. It's the first sermon Jesus ever preached, a.k.a. the greatest sermon ever preached on this planet. I'm going to try to cover that in 30 minutes. Uh, here's what I know. Uh, it, it is a heavy one. Um, I'm just, I'll be honest with you. Uh, I was kind of overwhelmed when I was preparing it because I love preaching messages that build people up. You know, they leave like, Ooh, I like that one today. But as Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, you need to know something. He is tearing down a lot in this, in this sermon. He's tearing down religion. He's ter- tearing down uh, worldly um, aims. Uh, he's tearing down uh, the kingdom of self. And so um, today's going to be a fun one, but can you just have an open heart? Uh, because, man, we have the kingdom of self so strong in the Bay Area. And Jesus preaches a different kind of kingdom, the kingdom of self, one that will satisfy your soul, one that will redeem you. So could you, just, could you be open today a little bit? Yeah. Or you bow your heads? Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for what you're doing at Mission Church. Lord, I come against apathy. I come against distraction, come against tiredness, anything that would hold us back from receiving what you have for us today. Oh, Jesus, we need you. We need you. We need you. Lord, thank you for what you're doing, Mission Church. Oh, we thank you for uh, just the baptisms today. How powerful. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing in people's lives. Oh, Lord, may my words fall to the floor and you restore. And everybody said, Amen. come on, come on, come on. Uh, so why is it called the Sermon on the Mount? Like, you know, like, can you imagine if I message every sermon from where I preach from? The Sermon from 250 North Widget. The sermon from Shadelands, you know, the sermon from Heather Gardens, the sermon from Las Lomas High School, the sermon from uh, the community uh, center at Heather Farm, the sermons from Saturday Night Walnut Creek Press, you know, like, like the, why would you use the sermon? Why would it be titled the location? Now, I actually got to go there. I want to show you something real quick. This is a picture of um, uh, the Sermon on the Mount area. Uh, this right here, uh, the highest p- uh, peak would actually have the church right there. That's the Sea of Galilee. Sea is kind of a generous name. It's more like a lake. It's half the size of Lake Tahoe. Still a very good sized lake, but more like a sea. I actually got to go on the Sea of Galilee in a boat uh, and worship. Uh, this is where Peter walked on water with Jesus. I was waiting for the Lord to say, I said, Lord, you say it. I'll come. I was ready to, I was ready to try. I was, ready, I was ready to be like, guys, it's happening. It's happening. You know, um, I got faith. I got faith. Um, but uh, up here on this mountain is where he uh, delivered the Sermon on the Mount. And as I was studying, I found out why he chose this spot. I want to read you. In... <sighs> Sorry. <laughs> Allergies are real. Allergies are real. I held it back. You don't want them to come because once one comes, it's like five in a row. Um, Matthew 5 says this. Yeah, Joe's like, that's great. Uh, Matthew 5 says this. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Let me uh, read you another uh, translation the message. When Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside. Those who were apprenticed to him, the committed, climbed with him. Arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and taught his climbing companions. Ooh, I like that, the climbing companions. Something you need to know is if you were going to start a revolution, if you were going to establish a kingdom, and you were going to declare yourself a king, the customary way in those times is you would go to the mountain. You would not declare this in the streets. You would not declare it in the city. You would go up in the mountain and kingdoms, other kingdoms would start in the mountain, just like when David was hiding in the mountain. Basically what it signified was Jesus was going up the mountain. And at this moment in ministry, 
People are like, what's he going to be? Just a great prophet? Is he going to be, you know, just a great whatever? And as he went up the mountainside to go teach, he was declaring, I'm going to be king. And he's saying, I'm establishing a new kingdom. The Sermon on the Mount is so powerful because if you were a disciple back then, you understood that Jesus was coming to establish a new kingdom and to have a new king. And for a kingdom to exist, there's a couple things that across the board you need. You need a king and you need values. And he is going to attack the world's values and religion values because um, the same uh, kingdom that Jesus attacked that day and to establish his new kingdom uh, exists today. The king today is it's money. And the values are success, wealth, comfort. Like this is what Jesus was competing against back then also. So just, just, just picture this with me because this is how I feel today. Imagine if I went to uh, the Democratic Convention, showed up and I was the first speaker at the Democratic Convention, you know, boom, Tyler Johnson, first speaker at Democratic Convention. And I started, your way is not the way. Pin drop. They're like, who invited this guy to the Democratic Convention, you know? And then, and then I go speak at the Republican Convention. How are you guys doing at the Republican Convention? I was like, woo, hey, good to see you, you know? And I'd be like, all right, here I go. Your way is not the way. Pin drop. Who invited this guy? Both of them would be upset because they say, no, our way is the way. Us Democrats, we got the right laws, the right legislation, the right ideals. We can bring happiness and fruitfulness and safety to this land. And then Republicans say, how dare you say we're not the way? We can bring fruitfulness and safety and, and we can restore everything that's broken. Our way is the way. Can you imagine being a pastor and preaching in the Bay Area and telling the rich and the accomplished and the successful and the degree chasers, your way is not the way. Your kingdom of accomplishments will leave you miserable, wretched, and poor. And this is what the Sermon on the Mount is saying. It's saying to the Bay Area, you missed it. You're lost. You're bankrupt. Let me read you what he says in Luke 6. If I can piggyback on Matthew 5, because he goes on to read in Matthew 5. He, he goes on to say, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they'll inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they'll be filled. You can see Jesus saying, my kingdom is not about laws transforming the outside. My kingdom is about transforming hearts from the inside out. I'm an inside out kind of kingdom guy. Uh, I, I want to I give a shout out, honor where honor is due. One of my heroes in the faith, one of the giants in, in the Christian movement passed away this week, Tim Keller. Uh, can we just give Tim Keller just uh, some honor real quick? Uh, we just say thank you for a life well lived. Um, if you like my sermons at all, Tim Keller has influenced me dramatically more than anybody else. I read a sermon of Tim Keller's every week, one a week for the last five plus years. I, I, I love how he's just so Jesus-centered and gospel-centered. I, I think he's one of the greatest gifts to the, uh, the kingdom when it comes to building up the body of Christ. He planted a great church in New York. And, and he, he, one of the first messages I ever heard him preach was the inside-out kingdom. And it was Jesus came to do an inside-out kingdom. And the world uh, does the opposite. It says, if we can just change the whole outside, then your inside will be better. If we just have enough outside laws, enough outside um, you know, um, uh, government programs, enough outside here and here, then everything's going to be happy and no, there's going to be no more crime. Everything's going to be great. And Jesus comes to say, laws are not going to change this world. 
I'm going to change hearts and change hearts will change this world. And so he even says to the other kingdom, I want you to hear this real quick. He says in Luke six, um, he says it this way. He goes, but woe to you who are rich for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. Jesus is coming against the kingdom of now. Do you hear those nows? Those who laugh now, who are fed now, who celebrate being rich right now. Because the reality is, is that you can either live for the kingdom of now or the kingdom of God. And feeling good right now? It's as quiet as it's as quiet as a pin drop right now. I feel like I'm at one of the conventions. Okay, okay. Please hear me real quick as your shepherd. If you actually believe that your wealth and your success is what you need in your life, you are so far lost, and today is your day to be found. And I'm, I'm not here to bring condemnation on you, because conviction is not condemnation. Conviction is not pointing to how terrible you are. Conviction is pointing to how good God is and how much you need him. You, you get your eyes open to a different kind of richness. You know, Kevin Hart, uh, I remember hearing him talk about hanging out with Dwayne Wade one time. Yeah, I dropped Kevin Hart on Sunday morning. What's up? Um, uh, <laughs> Kevin Hart said um, he went to go to Disneyland with uh, Dwayne Wade and his kids, and he thought they were going to Disneyland like with everybody. And so he showed up, and all of Disneyland was rented out for Kevin Hart and his kids and Dwayne Wade and his kids. He's like, dang, like, you rent out the whole Disneyland? And this kid's like, why don't you rent out Disneyland? And then Kevin Hart's like, well, you know, I had a different bank account that day, and I was trying to transfer the money from here to there. So we had to just buy normal tickets and go to Disneyland like a normal family. But that, we would do the same thing. And he basically talked about, like, as he got rich, he got around other people who were really rich. And a whole type of wealth he never knew he, that actually existed in this world. And some of you, you actually think you're rich. But you're poor. Woe to you who think you're rich. Woe to you who think you're well fed. You get around the king of kings and lord of lords, you'll find out how poor you really are. You'll find out the kind of doors that he could open that you can never open. The kind of things you could enjoy that you can never enjoy with how much, however how much money you have. And so my prayer today is your eyes will be open to this. I have three points. The gospel makes you happier. The gospel makes you deeper, and the gospel makes you better. Now, if I'm going to talk about the gospel, i got to unpack this real quick. Uh, a lot of us who have grown up in church, we understand what the gospel is, but not to its totality. Some of you are new to church. You don't even know what gospel means, and I want to unpack it for real quick. Um, so a lot of people think gospel just simply means this. Jesus died for our sins, and so therefore we get to go to heaven now. And that is the essence of uh, the gospel, but it's not the totality of it. Jesus didn't only die on the cross and conquer the grave so you could go to heaven. Jesus also died and conquered the grave so you could have heaven come to your life right now. So that you could have pure joy right now. So you could have restoration right now. This is the, the good news message that the kingdom of God is here right now. It's the number one thing Jesus preached in his whole ministry was the kingdom of God is at hand. Right now you could have it. So the gospel word comes from this Greek word, evangelion. Evan Galeon. Practiced it all week just so I could just say it on Sunday morning normal, okay? Whew, you should have seen me this whole week. Evan Galeon, you know, uh, YouTube. Evan Galeon, okay. Anyways, Evan Galeon was a Greek word that was used for good news. It was not a churchy term or religious term. It was a military term. And the first word, Ev, comes the word good. And then Galeon comes the root word, Anglos, where we get angel or messenger, which meant good message or good news, and so if there was a war at hand about two kingdoms battling, you would have um, a, a city waiting to hear if their kingdom won or lost. And so people would be sitting there, oh my gosh, if we lose, we're done. Death and destruction, we're going to be captives. But if we win, we have peace and prosperity. 
And so once the, the war was over, the king would send an Evangelion to ride back on the swiftest horse. They would call this Evangelion an evangelist. That's where the word evangelist comes from. And this evangelist would ride back to the town and say, the war's over. We have a king and he won peace and prosperity for our city. And people would rejoice with this good news message. Well, Jesus leaves heaven to let people know, because he is the ultimate evangelist. And he says, there is a new kingdom. The kingdom of self, the kingdom of religion, the kingdom of the world, it's done. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Peace and prosperity is here. And so he preaches for two chapters on just gospel goodness about the kingdom of God and what it can do to your life, what it can do to your marriage, your city, your region. And if you will hear this, oh, you're going to be happier. Your life's going to be deeper and it's going to be better. First point I want to hear is the gospel makes us happier. The gospel makes us happier. Uh, let's just I'll be honest real quick. Uh, happiness is at an all-time low. Boop! I mean, like, like get the paddles out. Boop! I mean... Year after year after year, we are setting records for sadness and depression and happiness going this way. Don't matter what the stock market's doing, doesn't matter how many things you have, happiness is plummeting. Because if we're being honest, what do our Beatitudes look like? Jesus' Beatitudes, his, his kingdom values say, blessed are those who realize they're poor for the kingdom of heaven shall be theirs. But if you had your own Beatitudes, what would they say? Blessed are those who get the degree. Blessed are those who get the house. Blessed are those who, who get rich. Blessed are those who have the looks. Blessed are those. And, and so we create our own blesseds and, and then we have a list of blesseds and then we get all of our blesseds and we're still miserable and we wonder why we're still miserable, but we got all our blesseds because you got outside in uh, blesseds, not inside out blesseds. And so let me, let me read you the king's blesseds. And uh, you need to know something. This word blessed literally is uh, makarios. It means to be divinely joyful. There isn't a, a good enough word to really translate it. We, we translate happy from this word, but, but happy, uh, if you know the, the root word of happy, it means, you know, uh, uh, circumstance, happening. So, so you're happy when the right things are happening. Uh, that's where happiness comes from. But if there's not enough good things happening, you're therefore not happy. And Jesus takes this word and says, no longer is it about happenings, but actually what's happened in your soul that stays there and produces divine joy. Happiness is not the aim of the kingdom. Happiness is the byproduct of the kingdom. And so, so he, he takes this word, and this word makarios wasn't even used in the Greeks because it was only used for gods. And Jesus takes this word and says, this is no longer used for your fake gods. This will be used for my followers. And so here's what he says. Let's get into it. Uh, now, when he saw the crowds, mountainside disciples came to him and began to teach him. The Beatitudes, he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Stop. They call them the Beatitudes because it's the, your attitude towards different things. So the first one is, blessed are those who mourn. Your attitude towards yourself. Then blessed are those who mourn. Your attitude towards sin. Uh, blessed are those who are uh, meek. Your attitude towards the world. So each one is your attitude towards yourself. And it's interesting how all of us have different attitudes towards ourselves. From just how we were just raised in childhood. Like seventh and eighth grade is the most marking time in anybody's life. You can't talk me out of it. All right. Now, I, seventh and eighth grade, I, if you were you know, good looking and ripped and chiseled. Like, you know, that one kid in junior high that they would just find an excuse to take their shirt off so they could show their six pack off. 
like PE class, you know, we're like, we're playing bowling. Like it's hot in here. I got to take my shirt off. I'm going to bowl with my shirt off. You're like, bro, we're not playing shirts and skins basketball. We're bowling right now. He's like, no, it's hot, man. It's hot. You know, yeah, we're going to run a mile. Even before the first lap, he's like, I got to take my shirt off. You know, he's got his like six pack out. He went through puberty like in fourth grade, you know, it's like one of those guys. And then there was me in junior high, two year late bloomer, all the baby fat still on my body. Okay. Um, and so in seventh and eighth grade, I was making excuses to keep my shirt on. I'd act like I was hurt, so I didn't have to take my shirt off or shirt and skins. Like, I was one of those guys. I was the guy in seventh and eighth grade that the girls always told me, oh, my God. I was the funny one. Um, um, but I was always one, you're like a brother to me. I'm like, ew. I don't be your brother. Like, like me trying to get a girl in seventh and eighth grade, oh, for a billion, okay? Um, but I got about 100 new sisters, okay? Um, a whole new family. I was just, you know, like we could just talk on the phone about the boys they liked. And, you know, like, oh, that's, that's hilarious. <laughs> so you have that moment in your life. And you see yourself that way. For years, I just saw myself that way. Can I be honest with you? I, when I show up on Sundays and I preach, I don't, I hope you know that I don't walk up like this. Oh, yeah, I got this. Yeah, uh, uh, I'm a bad, I'm a bad man. Okay, you ready for my message? Okay, here we go. Okay, turn your Bibles to Matthew 5. I don't feel like that. I don't feel like this. I feel, oh, my gosh, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Oh, seventh grade, Tyler needs you. Oh, Lord, I need you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. I need you. I, I mean, this is, this is me every single Sunday. I, need, I don't have that swagger from seventh and eighth grade because I never got instilled in my soul. So much so that when I was in my 20s, I got obsessed with working out and I got down to about 6% body fat. I was chiseled. I mean, just, and I would look, yeah, sorry. Sorry. I'm about to make it real sad though for you, ready? I would look in the mirror and I'd still see a fat kid. I had body dysmorphia to the T. I just kept on working out harder and harder and harder and I didn't see it. I remember looking back when I was, as I got healthier in my 30s, looking at pictures, like, I didn't see that. I, I, I saw somebody who was still just that little seventh, eighth grade kid who just had all that baby fat on him. I, I want to show you a picture of actually what body dysmorphia does. So somebody who is really fit. I didn't have, like, shoulders like that, but you get it. Um, <laughs> but somebody who's really fit, there's something that, that happened in their history of their life to where they see something that actually isn't true. And what Jesus is saying in, in, in Matthew 5 is he goes, blessed are those who take the word of God, which is the mirror of God, and actually see how bankrupt they are. Because a lot of you, you got spirit dysmorphia. You got soul dysmorphia. You actually, a lot, the kid who was really ripped and cool in 7th and 8th grade, you could wear sandals and socks to church today and feel like you're the best dressed one in the room still. You're like, yeah, this is what I do. It's still in, right? Yeah, 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 like, like I'm starting a new trend because whatever I wore in the junior high, uh, people I thought was cool, so now I'm going to do it again. But what happens as you get older, your accomplishments give you this dysmorphia to where you're like, I look pretty good to myself. I, when I look in the mirror of this world, because just, uh, just like the Bible calls it a mirror, the, the world has a mirror. And the world shows you this self-sufficient, successful person that doesn't need anything else because they did it themselves. And the Bible says, this person, woe to you because you are going to be a miserable, bankrupt soul. And the word that he uses for poor here is not just any kind of word. There's different levels of the poor. There's middle-class poor. He's talking about desperately poor. 
And what he's saying is, he goes, blessed are those who actually get in front of the word of God and hear the gospel message and actually see how bankrupt they are. If they all could be seventh grade time, and like, oh, Jesus, I need you, I need you, I need you. And if you don't live in a place, Jesus, I need you, I need you, I need you every day, then you have some spirit dysmorphia and it is stealing from your life. Let me, let me, let me unpack this real quick. I, um, uh, I tore my meniscus in my knee. And I uh, had a couple other things. So, you know, got my uh, MRI and doctor, you know, told me hey, we should do some surgery. And, and I talked to some physical therapists and they said, you know, actually try strengthening the muscles around it and don't do surgery. And so here you are. So I did the exercise that recommended, recommended me and my knee got better. I was feeling better, playing hoops. Guess what I stopped doing? The exercises that helped my knee get better because the pain was gone. So therefore, I just started just living life again. And guess what happened? My pain came back. And isn't it interesting that when we actually do have a hard season, we press into God, but then right when we're done pressing into God, because we need him in that moment, we move away thinking now we're middle-class poor uh, and we have actually made something and we don't need him as much anymore. We gradu- let, let, me, let me unpack, let me give you a really big picture of what I'm trying to say with this real quick. Uh, 9-11, 2001, September, and um, I, I'm 18 years old, I'm an 18-year-old kid, and my mom wakes me up in the morning and she says, Tyler, wake up. Somebody just ran a plane into one of the Twin Towers. And I was like, what? And I remember her turned the TV on and I'm seeing this one building on fire. And, and as we're watching it live, another plane hits the other building and just fear just swept over me. And I just like, I was like what's going on right now? Like this, this doesn't happen in America. And, and I remember my mom and I, you know, sitting there and we prayed for a second. And, and <clears throat> you need to know something. If you weren't um, old enough at this moment in 9-11, like, it was like this weird fear, like Disneyland was empty for months because we thought, is this our new normal in America where like people are just start, start blowing things up all over the place? And, and like, is America no longer safe? Like, like we, we, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was shaking. So I remember I had to get ready for work that day. I worked at Walmart McDonald's. Uh, <clears throat> shout out to any McDonald's alum in the house. Um, you're like, uh, I had a couple more weeks. I was working there until I was going to go to college and um, worked there my whole high school years. And to be honest, I think the Lord had me work at McDonald's to prepare me for ministry. Uh, I, uh, I remember like, you know, I'd be the guy, you know, serving the food. And if somebody made a, a sandwich wrong, I remember a guy had his Cajun McChicken and he ordered with no mayo, but it came with mayo. And so I remember him coming up and says, I ordered no mayo. And he just chucked the Cajun McChicken at me, hit me right in my chest. I was like, I was like, well, get you another occasion, you know? You know, like the people chucking nuggets at me sometimes. I mean, like, when you got somebody's order wrong, especially at Walmart, McDonald's, the clientele, so you're keeping it real. I worked there for two and a half years. I was one of them, okay? I mean, but that, I mean, I, you shoot me an email, it means nothing. I've been throwing occasionally chickens at me, okay? All right? If you want, you want to get my attention, go get a chicken sandwich and chuck it at me, you know? Hey, pastor, it's too loud in the worship. Bam, chuck the sandwich, you know what I'm saying? Hey, pastor, you preach too long. Chicken sandwich, you know? Um, Still going to preach long, but don't care. Okay, anyways, um, I think the Lord uh, had me work there preparing for uh, ministry, so I, I feel good. I feel good. It's like my Navy's still training. Anyways, uh, I remember showing up uh, to work that day, and, uh, you know, it's a pretty slow day there, and this lady over the monitor, she literally gets on the PA, and Pialba's kind of like the East Bay area, somewhat affluent, you know, all the same goals, the East Bay, get the degree, get the house, get some money, be successful. Like that was the culture of Puyallup where I grew up. This lady gets on a PA in the middle of Walmart and she goes, hey, uh, I'm not really even like a Christian. I'm kind of a Christian, but I feel like we should all pray. If you're in the Walmart right now, shopping or working, meet in front of aisle seven. We're all going to pray together. 
And I remember like, are we allowed to do this at Walmart? <laughs> and I was like, am I allowed to leave the grill? And like all of our employees, my manager's like, well, come back, shut it down. You know, so we pull down the gate, <laughs> you know, and then we walk out of McDonald's and we walk out there and hundreds of people, a few hundred, literally get to the front and we like try to stand in a big old circle and we all hold our hands and we're going to start praying. And the lady goes, I- I'm kind of a Christian, so I could kind of pray. Is there actually a Christian that could pray? You know? And, and I was a Christian at the time, but I was at young 18. I was, I, was, I was like, please, please let there be another Christian. And Lord, if, if another person will step up, I'll do it. But Lord, I, I feel like I'm supposed to defer right now. Um, and so, so uh, uh, another gentleman stood up and, and he grabbed, the, uh, grabbed the, um, the little thing. They were using one of those, you know, like uh, magnifying things. And he just started praying. And he just said, Jesus, we need you. We're in uncharted territory. So much fear. So many people are losing loved ones today. We need you, Jesus. And he just kept going, we need you. We need you. And as we're holding hands, you're hearing people just repeat him. And I remember going to church that Sunday. And it was a baby church plant. There was a few hundred people at the church plant in each service. And I remember walking to that, that Sunday. And it was standing room only. People were so desperate for Jesus because they had no idea where to go. They were, they were helpless in that moment. But then 9-11 came and went. And the prayer of we need you, we need you left Walmart. And what happens a lot in our life is we have a shaking happen in our life. And we have that moment where we're like, God, we need you, we need you, we need you. And it's the best place to live. But then once we don't feel any pain or anything, we become middle-class poor and we are no longer blessed. Watch out for the woes to come back to your life. And if you want to live the kingdom of inside out and you want to be happier and you want to have divine joy, Blessed are those who know that they need Jesus not only on Sunday, but on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. Can I get an amen for that? <clears throat> the gospel makes you happier. It's amazing. I love it. The last word in the Old Testament was cursed. And the first word Jesus preached was blessed. It's like there's a new sheriff in town. And I was like, hey, cursed is done. Blessing's in. And so uh, if you have time when you go home today, uh, read through the Beatitudes. And just allow them to start transforming your spirit. And if you look at the Beatitudes, I want to give you some, some pastoral teaching real quick. The first half is like the, the, the process of salvation. So blessed are those who are poor and realize they need God. Like that's salvation. I know I need you, Jesus. I can't save myself. I can't redeem myself. So I need you. So that's salvation. But then once you get saved, it's the blessed of those who mourn. You start seeing sin differently once you get saved. You start seeing it as a thief and not something that used to comfort you. You don't see it as a pleasure anymore. You see it as it, it's been unmasked. It is now a thief and you mourn over sin. And you mourn over what it does to people's lives. So then you start to mourn. And then blessed are those who are meek. You, you become humble. You become, you become somebody who actually understands uh, what your role is in this world. And then blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Your hunger changes from hungering for the world and you start hungering for God. You've heard it said hurting people hurt people, yes? Well, happy people help people. Because then after salvation, the second half of the Beatitudes is about what spills out of your life. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be mercy. They shall, uh, shall be shown mercy. Blessed are those that are pure at heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are those who uh, do good and are peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. What happens is, is once you allow the um, Beatitude message to actually be the way that you actually see the Lord, it changes the way you see the world and how you operate in the world. You become merciful and good and kind. Ooh, isn't that good? Come on, we're going to have a happy church. Because a happy church helps an area. Come on now. So uh, um, the gospel makes you happy. Uh, second point, the gospel makes, uh, makes us deeper. The gospel makes us deeper. It's interesting. Um, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus picks six of the laws 
and addresses them. There's 635 in the Old Testament, but he picks six to address and to basically raise the bar on. And I read, I read this last week, so I'll paraphrase, but he talks about uh, murder and he says, anger is like murder. He talks about adultery. And he goes, a, th- a thought of lust is like adultery. He basically raises the bar on the law. If you look through Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he talks about three different attitudes uh, for us. One is our attitude towards um, uh, the law, our attitude towards religion, and our attitude towards uh, just material things. And as you look at what happens, Jesus steps into a very superficial society. He steps into a very superficial religion. These Pharisees took the 635 laws, and they made thousands of rules and traditions around these laws. If I could just give you a picture of really what it was, what people were dealing with at this moment, is picture a river that is an eighth of an inch deep. Like it, you can barely see little, just a little bit of water, but it's a long river. So it's an unbelievably long river. And one of the biggest purposes of a river, especially back then, was it brought fruit to places. Another reason why you'd have a river is it was there for you to bathe in. It was there to be refreshing, to refresh and also to drink from. It's very hard to drink from a river that is really wide, but not deep at all. And what religion was, because Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount. He's showing two things. Christianity, gospel goodness, is drastically different from the world, but it's drastically different from religion. And he says, everything here is superficial. He uses the word hypocrite a lot. And the Greek word hypocrite means an actor who wears a mask. An actor who is all about the superficial. And you'll hear Jesus talk about, you know, hey, don't pray like this, superficial prayers. Pray real prayers. Don't give superficial. Give with, like, the right heart. He talks about don't fast. Did you know in the Bible, uh, fasting uh, uh, in the Old Testament, it was instructed for us to fast once a year in the Old Testament. It's in Leviticus. It's the Day of Atonement. You're supposed to fast annually the Day of Atonement. They took fasting and made it a show. Oh, I'm fasting today. Oh, look at me. I'm a fast. They wanted to impress men. And manipulate God. That is a superficial religion. And Jesus says, I want to get past superficial and I want to create a depth of religion. I don't want you to do things to get things. I actually want you to do things because you have already everything. It's, it's, it's the depth of a relationship. They, they, let me put it this way. Um, I think one reason why our church is absolutely crushing is because we have real relationship here at Mission Church. We're, we're not down to have superficial church or superficial small group, or superficial conversations, people desire depth in this society now. And Jesus says, I'm going to come make things deeper again. There's going to be, uh, your marriage is going to become deeper. Your, your relation with me is going to become deeper. It's not going to be a religious act. It's going to become a relational act. Let me, let me unpack um, kind of what that would look like. So Matthew 6 uh, goes on talking to me about prayer. And then, um, you know, do not pray like this, but pray like that. And he keeps on dealing with, it's all, if your motive is transactional, you're going to live a superficial life. If your motive is relational, you're going to live a deep life. And one of the ones I want to actually um, use for my illustration for this comes out of Matthew 5. It's an interesting one, but I want to hear it. Uh, You've heard the law that says, the punishment must match the injury, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. Stop. So, I am not a fighting master, okay? I am not the guy that you're like, yo, we need to win a fight. Put Tyler in. Now, I think I do okay, but I don't like know, like, I don't know, like, you know, Krav Maga, I don't know if I'm saying that right, uh, Jiu-Jitsu, UFC, like, I'm not your guy. But here's what I do know. If I were trying to win a fight, I wouldn't slap somebody in the face. I don't think I'm going to knock somebody out by slapping them. You know, like, if somebody had a knife, I'm not going to be like, get out of here. 
They're gonna be like, oh, you slapped me. Ah, you know, like that's not gonna happen. You know what I'm saying? Uh, if somebody had a knife, I'm throat punching. I'm not straight. So pop, you know, I'm trying to get like, like right, right under there. You know what I'm saying? You know, take the knife out of their hands. Call the cops. Call the cops. I've got, I, I got, I, I stopped the criminal. Like, like that's what I would do, okay? Um, I'm definitely not gonna slap somebody. And it's so interesting because this verse has been taken out of context so much by people. They isolated it. Like, like, you know, like, like somebody hurts you, let them hurt you again. Like, like a lot of pacifism has come out of this verse. And this is actually not a pacifist verse. What happened in that culture, if you slap somebody, it literally meant this. You are dishonoring their name. You are taking what people thought of them and you are hurting their name. You're hurting the way they were saw. You're making them look, look, look weak. And Jesus is saying... The gospel is going to make you so deep that nobody can hurt your identity on the super surface. That, 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 that whatever happens on the outside, it's not going to affect how you see yourself, how you see people. Your hope is deeper. Your love is deeper. Your identity is deeper. So when somebody slaps you in the face, guess what we do? We turn the other cheek. And the reason why we turn the other cheek in the Bay Area when they do something is because our hope is so deep and our identity is so deep in the Lord that we're ready to receive them when they're ready to come. You, you can say what you want to say about me. You can do what you want to do to me. But the reality is that the gospel has made me deeper. And it's made me love deeper. It's made me dream deeper. It's made me believe deeper. So therefore, I'm going to believe that you're going to come back. So I'm going to turn the other cheek, slap away. Do you hear what I'm saying? The gospel makes you deeper. Which leads me to my last point. I'm going to write the worst thing up. The gospel makes us better. The gospel makes us better. In Matthew 5, he shares a famous story. We all, a lot of us have heard this in church. Um, it just simply says this, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Stop. The gospel makes us better. Tim Keller would say this a lot. And, and, um, theologian is the one question test. And he said, you can tell if you're really a Christian. If you aren't religious, but you are gospel goodness Christianity. Because if you read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus keeps on giving this parallel of two trees, a good tree and a tree that has no fruit. Two ways, two ways to pray. Two ways, to, oh, there's always two ways. And one tree is gospel goodness that produces fruit and the other tree is poison that produces nothing. And so he's not even preaching against the world anymore. He's preaching against religion. And so one of the theologians asked this question, and, and, and I remember uh, Tim Keller asking the same one, and here's how he would say it. I want to give him uh, uh, some credit this morning uh, and a shout-out. He would say, here's how you know you're, if you are transformed by the gospel. What's your attitude like towards New York City? And what the theologian's question was this is, you can know if you're a Christian by simply this one response. What is your attitude towards the broken, and what is the broken's attitude towards you? Let me unpack that real quick. You know the gospel has taken root in your heart and made you better. When you look at the Bay Area and you see its brokenness, but you are not haughty and arrogant because the Pharisees saw themselves as better than. Jesus will teach in this same sermon, who are you to point out the speck in somebody else's eye when you have a plank in your own eye? Because the religious think they have a speck just a little bit of sin but the bay area has planks everywhere but the saved knows they've got planks in their own eye and they are saved because they were the same kind of sinner and the same kind of broken and who are they to judge what they were saved from 
And so what he's saying here, and when the gospel makes us better in this kind of kingdom, is that when you see the Bay Area, you're not grossed out by it, you mourn and you pray for it. And the people that are in the Bay Area that think different than you, oh, what do they do? They're drawn to you. And they don't know why they're drawn to you. They're not drawn to you because you've told them how bad they are. They're drawn to you because you have a joy not of this world. They're drawn to you because you love them in spite of differences. That in spite of the way you've been treated at work, you're that person who just has a deeper identity. You bring something better and they're drawn to you. I can say this now because the reality is is that if you are still in the Bay Area, you got some salt in your soul. Because the ones that didn't have salt in their soul, they moved. Did I say it? I said it. Some people, and if you're watching, I'm gonna say it real quick. If you moved to flee brokenness, that is not the gospel. But if you moved because God sent you to another broken area, that is the gospel. We're called to this area. You're gonna find brokenness everywhere. You can move to the best Republican city in the world. Idaho, Tennessee, I don't care. It's broken. Don't flee brokenness. Have your heart break for it. Pray for it. Love people. Because the gospel makes us better. The gospel doesn't create fleers. It creates evangelists. Evangelions. There's a new kingdom. Peace and prosperity. It's ours. The Bay Area is not the enemies anymore. So let's, let's wrap this up. The conclusion of this, uh, I find, will make your heart explode with thankfulness. Because the Sermon on the Mount, it's impossible to keep. We can't do it. We've all failed. The bar Jesus set was this impossible bar that only he could keep. And if you know the Beatitudes, it, I just want to read it to you real quick. I want, I want this to go in your soul a bit. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall show mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for there is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus was the only one that kept the Beatitudes and kept the Sermon on the Mount. And he was the most merciful, but he was not shown mercy. He was shown wrath on the cross. Jesus was the only one working for peace. And he was not given peace. He was given despair. Jesus was the one that was pure in heart. But on the cross, he literally had God's face turned away from him. He could not see God. It says that those who are the peacemakers will be called children of God. Jesus was cut off from calling him father and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus did the reverse beatitudes and tasted the wrath of not leaving them so you could taste the benefit of him living them. So he took the wrath of how you lived, so now you could take the blessing of how he lived. And this is why we receive communion. Because, because he was merciful, we get to be shown mercy, and now we can try to show mercy too. Because he was the child of God, we can now be called children of God. Because he was pure at heart, now we get to come to church on a Sunday, the veil has been torn, and we get to worship God with no fear, but with confidence to come before the throne. We've had such a sweet season at Mission Church. I mean, unbelievably sweet. Salvations galore, 700 people in small groups, growth like crazy, the spirit of God, it's been amazing. 
And what happens a lot in churches, we just move on to the next thing and the next thing. And this is why communion is so important. Communion has you stop and has you reflect and has you thank God and has you celebrate what he did in your life. We put celebration cards on every chair. You'll be able to put them, um, hand them in the box on the way out. But I wanna actually spend the next 60 seconds. You can, you can spend an hour this week each day on thankfulness, but I'm gonna give you 60 seconds to two minutes to write down a couple things that you're thankful that God has done in your life. What the King has brought into your life with the new kingdom. And then I want you to receive communion. And I want you to receive the promises that come with it. The bread that is his broken body so you can be made whole. The blood that paid the price so you could have the inheritance of the kingdom, aka mercy and joy and peace, all of the above. And then we're gonna worship the goodness of God. And I don't want you just to sing goodness to God. I want thankfulness to just ooze out of you as you worship to it. Because all my life you have been faithful. My whole life he's been faithful. Even when I was unfaithful. And all my life you have been so, so good. When I wasn't good, he's just been good. And I just feel like we got to give some thankfulness to the one that saved our life. The one who preached a new kingdom. The one who is our king. Can we do that this morning? So God, we come before you with every head by an eye closed and we just say, you are God, you are King, you are Lord, you are Savior. We love you, Jesus. You're so worthy of our praise. And Lord, as we receive communion, God, I pray that we would reflect on the things you've done in our life, the little things, the big things, the medium things that we say, thank you. We give you all glory, all honor. With every head by an eye closed, you wanna say yes to Jesus today. Salvation is this term we use from the Bible that you came to church today and you've never said Jesus is the Lord of your life, the savior of your life. And you wanna say yes to heaven. You wanna say yes to Jesus as your Lord, as your King. And if that's you today, you wanna get saved today. You wanna say yes to blessing, no to cursing. You wanna say yes to being a Christian. If that's you with every head bowed and eye closed on the count of three, raise your hand and catch my eye. One, two, three, raise it up and raise it high. I wanna see you. I see you and I see you, that's a great decision. Come on, I see you. It's a great decision. Oh, we love you, Jesus, we love you. Everybody said? Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.